0: You're listening to the 405 Exchange Podcast. My name is Ken Grandpierre, and today's guest is Leila McKella. She's a Grammy Award-winning Haitian-American whose latest album, Capitalist Blues, is arguably the most crucial album to come out of 2019. Throughout the album, she highlights the hypocrisies of the capitalistic system we have here in America, but she does so in a way that's not idealistic or even pragmatic. Her observations are filled with a lot of heart and honesty. On this episode, I met up with her right before she played one of the Lincoln Center events that we have here in New York. Um, we touch upon the themes of the album, her youth, uh, her current family, and what it's like to make an album of folk song, sung in Haitian Creole. This is the 405 Exchange with Layla McKella.
1: Enjoy.
0: So it's probably a super direct way to start an interview, but considering your latest album, The Capitalist Blues, I just kind of have to ask, what's it like to be in a city like New York, which is, in a lot of ways, almost like a mecca of capitalism?
1: Oh, yeah. Um, I walked past Trump Tower today, and I was thinking, oh, Lord, there it is. You know, this, like, big, gaudy building. That, And I was even in uh, I was shopping today thinking, you know, how much does this store make every day? And, yeah, just everything feels like a machine. So New York is definitely... Uh, Good place to process some of the capitalist blues. Yeah. That actually—that's why I left New York. because it I—I awesome. I always felt like, um, you know, a rat in the rat race, and I just felt like I wasn't getting anywhere creatively. I am from New York originally. I was born in Bayside, Queens. Oh,
0: I didn't know
1: that. Yeah, and um, and I, so I'm a native New Yorker, and I lived here. You know, I went to NYU. I lived here feel like as i became an adult new york was a big part of that for me um and now i've been in new orleans almost 10 years and i kind of can't believe that um but i don't know there's something so comfortable about a capitalist society (laughs) you know because we're just used to it we're just used to it we've all been raised well not we all but i think uh even just globally it's it's kind of everywhere you know um the capitalist structure is sort of uh the goal I think for most people and um yeah I think my my record is kind of processing what that is and questioning the morality of it you know Um, or the humanity of it or the lack of humanity of it um so yeah
0: I love to hear you say that because that was definitely something I picked up from the album and I mean I honestly like so when I got sent the album it was one of those things where like I read a little bit about before I listened to it and then getting to listen to it, it I couldn't find myself thinking of a more appropriate time to have an album like this enter my life and uh, a little background for me, um, I grew up mostly in uh, Rockland County in New York. Mm-hmm. I grew up a bit in London and then mostly in Rockland County. I mean, my parents are Haitian as well. Oh, cool. And uh, that was a big way for me to connect with your music also. But um, just like in regards to what you saying about capitalism and just being here in a place like New York, I feel like it very much... Um, invigorates this, it's just like you do feel like a pawn. But it's almost like a thing where you are But then well, you're
1: also trying to make the right moves all the time. Yeah. So to like increase your status. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like I don't know. Is the American dream the American dream did it ever exist? Does it exist for everyone in the same way? I don't think so. I don't feel it ever do. No. Uh -uh. and certainly coming from you know a haitian american perspective there's no way that i can feel that the american dream has I i can see how it just doesn't work for everyone the same way yeah you know
0: well i'm curious within i know this is probably a very personal thing to ask but with with growing up and within your household How do you feel like the American dream was presented to you?
1: Well, you know, my parents were very uh, socially very progressive compared to a lot of Haitian families, you know, like a lot of of their friends would be like, you know, church is like the center of community whereas with my parents it was always like uh, human rights advocacy um, and uh, Especially regarding Haitians, and um, and so the American dream to me was presented as you are going to do lots of activities. We're going to do tennis. You're going to do ballet. You're going to do soccer. We're going to coach the soccer. You're going to play the cello. You're going to do ice skating. Like I had, I was like an activity beast when I was like ten, um, which is so funny to think about now because. Uh, I just saw them like you know trying to get me to be excellent they always wanted me to be excellent you know and so now i'm like yeah you know, looking back on that as an adult i'm like here i am i'm excellent and it doesn't feel so excellent all the time you know it doesn't feel i think what they wanted me to feel is like this this feeling of like you have to be able to have security you have to be you know the the best that you can possibly be because the odds are stacked against you already you know especially as a, a young black Haitian American woman you know the odds are stacked against you so if you don't if you don't stand out if you don't get good grades like you know they just I think expectations were very high in my house and that is what makes me Haitian. <laughs>
0: yeah, I was gonna say because something that is
1: like Haitian parents don't play around.
0: They really don't. Well, so it really <laughs> interesting with hearing the way you, you you talked about your upbringing. Is that. My parents definitely shared that aspect of wanting excellence, but what was very perverse and kind of strange for me, both as a child and even as an adult, like I recognized it was strange as a child, is they always rounded back to money. And I think it's from them coming from Haiti into the, here in the 70s and then having me in the 90s and seeing kind of money being tossed around. They very much tried to instill for me this idea that the only way you're going to get anywhere in life is if you have money. You as a young person should have that understanding. and. I don't I mean they it came from a place of love. I definitely know that now being yeah. older. But in hindsight it's just that's a very weird way to raise a child in a lot of ways.
1: Yeah. I think my parents were more like, we don't have money and that's why, you know, you need to appreciate all the work that we're doing to put you in all these activities and yeah. you know, summer camps and this and that and you know, to my parents' credit, especially my mom. Um, she was really like, okay, we're gonna get the scholarship, we're gonna do the thing, so that you can have this experience, you know, because we didn't really have money for summer camps and all this kind of stuff. But she found a way to get me into those programs, and they really, sh- you know, even, even I studied with a, a a cello professor of mine who was a professor at Juilliard, and he's kind of the person that really elevated my cello playing to the next level. But even then, I was, you know, I was totally the charity case. Like, I was, you know, paying $50 a lesson, and that felt like so much, you know? And meanwhile, like, I think he gets paid, like, $150 a lesson normally, you know? Because he was, like, that amazing of a teacher and, you know, just, uh, I don't know. It, it's funny, like, I want to I wanna tell my kids to follow their heart. Because that's certainly what I'm doing, but, um, you know, it's stressful, even being an artist now, it's like, now I have now I have an art, uh, now I'm a professional artist, that's all all I do, is I tour, I do interviews, I, you know, yeah. do my thing, but I'm also, like, in debt all the time, I'm always having to pay off my credit cards, I'm always worried, you know, I'm in debt to my label, I'm in debt to my manager, like... You know, everyone is um, trying to hold up this project and I keep on saying to myself, this has to get bigger, this has to get bigger, and I'm thinking to myself, this is exactly what the capitalist blues is. It's always feeling like this has to get bigger in order for me to s- sustain my life. And, um, and I think that that's happening, but that, you know, that's not even really what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is more like that, the pressure of that. And a lot of that is pressure I put on myself, but I really feel like that was instilled in me from my parents, you know, Um, to just always be rising above. But if you're always rising above, like, where do you land?
0: That's a you good know, uh, w- would you be okay with like going a little further into this? Cause sure, it,
1: I'm, I'm cool.
0: Yeah, yeah. Because no, I'm really glad especially
1: to, now that I know that you have Asian <laughs> parents,
0: <laughs> you can kind of understand a bit of like where I'm coming from. Well, yeah. What's really amazing to to me about what you just brought up is something I was gonna bring up later in the talk, but I think this is as good a time as any. It's essentially two things, so it's like two things I'm gonna try to combine into one question. Okay. I've been fortunate to be around a lot of artists and to like be behind the scenes and see how so many things kind of function and when I think about what I what I've seen in that regard and within my own artistry I, I work as a photographer and it's something that I always want to elevate and make into like I don't want to say grandiose but make it into a thing that could be sustainable right but it's I was talking to someone about this earlier this week and I was finding myself frustrated with in almost in a subconscious type of way where it's a weird time to not have a clear barometer of what success is because it's changed so much and i think what's weird in a capitalist society is that you see money and you see things that are shiny and you see people able to not have to worry about things in terms of financial sense and that could seem like success but then there are other aspects of success so i guess my question is it's like Is that something you feel aware of In regards to your own artistry That success is like a more abstract thing Than it's ever been before
1: Yes Yeah, I mean in some ways You know, I think It's been interesting actually releasing this album Because everyone's like Congratulations on all your success And you know And while that feels good to hear um, You know, it's been Interesting to kind of ask myself, is is this going well? Is this what going well looks like? Should I be wanting more? Should I be happy with how things are going? Um, you know, I, I think I'm in a an interesting place in my career. Um, but I'm also like, you know, I have three kids. I just gave birth to twins ten months ago. And I have a four-year-old daughter. I'm married. I own a house, which is such a privilege you know so many people like that's their one of their life goals you know and I think it's interesting when you've get to this place where you've achieved a lot of your life ambitions like marriage and kids and owning a house and having a career it's like what do you do next you know and I I mean I never got taught how to manage money at all and my parents were probably not taught how to manage money you know so now i'm like okay do i have to i have to learn how to manage money now but is that gonna if i learn how to do that does that mean i'm successful will that really make me less stressed or happier it's all so subjective and it changes i mean it changes uh, as much as the weather it feels (laughs) like especially when you're an artist and you're self-employed and You know, there's laws changing about the taxes and, you know, um, you're in this sort of uh, infrastructure in the music industry that is... I mean, the artists are so responsible for so much. You know, we, we go out on the road with our blood, sweat and tears, literally. I mean, uh, this last tour that I had in Europe, my twins got, one twin got sick, then the other twin got sick. I lost my voice. Then I'm like, oh my God, I have this big show in London, I have this big show in Paris. My voice is, is like leaving me. When I need to just rest, I can't rest. I have to work. Because the dates have been booked for months and, you know, you have to show up. And I think that that's what... why I'm so well suited for this job because I'm really good at showing up and I'm, I'm a hard worker and I'm determined and I really believe in what I'm doing but I, do, I so often do not feel like I'm successful and my friends are so baffled by this. And even me talking to you out loud, I'm like, I'm baffled by this too. Why don't I feel like I'm successful, you know? Well,
0: that was at the benchmark of the, not to cut you off, that was at the benchmark in the conversation I had uh, earliest week where the person I was talking to was kind of essentially doing what your friends are doing, kind of having bafflement that I don't find success within my own self. But it's like we're saying, it changes like the weather. And even saying that out loud, I'm really glad you put it that way because I've never really thought about it in such a succinct way. That's a very both strange and hard thing to articulate out loud.
1: Oh, yeah. It's very strange, especially when there's uh, lots of different tides coming in and currents Uh sweeping you under. And, you know, there's uh, always change in the air when you're an artist, especially, you know? Because you're chasing opportunities and you're creating work and then you're getting inspired by things which might distract you or might you know put you on a completely different track and then there's just different seasons of your life you know I I find myself lately thinking like I have a lot of friends that don't have kids because I'm I'm relatively young for how many kids I have I'm 33 And, and all my friends that don't have kids I'm just like what are you doing like napping and worrying well, Don't nap and worry. Like, do more stuff. Have fun. Enjoy your life more. You well, know.
0: Well, as a new friend of yours who doesn't have a kid, oh, I, no, I, no. I can happily oh. tell you what I'm thinking. Yeah. Because it going to be someone's going to bring up, but I'll happily tell you. Uh, I'm shedding myself at the idea of having kids. Really? Well, yeah. It's been on my mind. I have a partner, and we're very much in love. And like, it's only been about like it's only going to be two years, but it's definitely a thing that's become a conversation. Right. Of just like, not soon, but like soon i'm doing air quotes but are we
1: are we talking about this or are we not talking about this kind of thing yeah
0: (laughs) essentially and i'm terrified because (coughs) it's so crazy to think that that's a thing people have been doing since the dawn of time yet i look at it as a thing of just like i can't even comprehend how the conversations people have within themselves to get to that point i feel so far removed from that So I imagine that's what a lot of us of your friends who don't have kids are doing. We're like freaking out at the concept.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I was never like that. I always knew I wanted to have kids. When I met my husband, I was like, this feels so clear and so obvious. And like, you know, but now it feels less clear and less obvious.
0: After the fact?
1: Yes. Because when you think about having a baby, oh, I want a baby. I want a family. It's all this abstract concept you know and and then when you get that baby and the baby keeps on growing and growing and then the baby can talk and then you have to make hard life decisions you know the hardest thing i think i'm going through right now is being separated from my daughter who's 4 years old and i've told myself that this is the right thing because she needs her mom to be happy and the way that i'm happy is to be able to perform and have these kinds of interactions. Yeah. Um, but it's heartbreaking. It's really hard to separate her from her twin little brother and sister who she adores and loves so much and just wants to be with them all the time. And she wants to be with me. And, um, and I was on tour with her for you know three years. So she knows what I do in in whatever way that she can conceptualize and understand. And, um, and it's really hard, just, you know, it's starting to wear on me more and more because now it's been, you know, months that I've been on the road and, and I can't bring her with me because she goes to this public school that's a French immersion school and they won't, they only let her, uh, if she's gone more than 10 days in the school year, they call a truancy officer which again this is like capitalist blues all over again because it, the only reason why that that policy is in place is because it's a charter school that gets funding from the government and if they don't have you know a pretty immaculate attendance records then they lose their charter status or their funding I mean how can someone call a truancy officer on you if you're taking your child from her French immersion program to France
0: yeah like, you know what I mean, it's especially because like, it's the parent doing so right. as well, and just like it's right mad, it's, it's like, mad.
1: yeah, I know it is insane, and so it's just been really hard because I'm like, okay, uh, is this the right thing to give her this education and I see her growing in all these ways that you know I, I'll be gone for even a week and she's a different person when I come back. I mean, she's the same, but you know she's grown she she understands different things and she's saying different things, you know, it was really. Funny. I mean, this is like a small thing, but she got her ears pierced. At four? Yeah. Because she was like, I'm ready to get my ears pierced. I want my ears pierced. So we're like, okay. My husband <laughs> took her, and I wasn't there. Holy shit. My first daughter. Did got they FaceTime you while
0: it was happening? No. I wanted them <laughs> to, but it was like
1: three in the morning for me. Oh, wow. You know, so it's, it's just like these uh, these negotiations between, you know, who I thought I'd be and what I thought my life would be like and what my life is actually like.
0: Yeah. Well, I think I you can know? tell you something that will make you feel worlds better. Okay. I, I think I'm going to attempt. Uh, so my parents worked loads of different odd jobs and they were the, it was essentially the type of situation where when they came here it was like literally no money, barely speaking English and then kind of clawing their way into what middle class was within the 90s. Uh-huh. But There was definitely that type of thing where we've reached this, now we have to protect it at all costs. And for a lot of people who come from a work-class background, that translates into overworking and to saying yes to everything. So when I was growing up, uh, I resonate a lot with what you talked about in regards to your daughter, because when I was growing up, I barely saw my mom and dad, but as early as like age two and onward. Uh, Looking back now and considering how I was raised and considering the type of experiences I've had as an adult, I think I would feel so differently about that situation I had as a child if I knew that my mom or my dad were doing things that were one, in regards to their dreams, and two, if they were able to relay that to me. Because I'm sure you're familiar along with Haitian. Well, I don't want to assume things, but I feel like it's prevalent amongst Haitian parents to just not talk about feelings, at least Mm. from what I experienced and witnessed. Like, was was it like that all of you? I don't want to assume. Mm.
1: not not so much um, with my mother especially I mean I was very communication was very fluid and open Um, yeah but my dad is not a talker and certainly not a talker about feelings my dad was a workaholic as well but I I think the fact that I knew that my dad was doing human rights advocacy made me I, I mean that, I've been proud of him since I can can remember. I thought my dad was, like, the smartest person I had ever met. And he's, I mean, he is an extremely, profoundly intelligent and um, insightful person. And, you know, when there were, like, all these crises happening in Haiti, you know, Washington Post, New York Times, NPR, they'd all call my dad and he would be interviewed. And, and that made me really proud of him. And the same thing with my mom. My mom went to law school when I was in fourth grade yeah. had two kids wow. in law school I mean that just sounds insane and it probably was insane but she got through it and it really does sound insane. and I was proud of her and I'm I'm still proud of her for doing that you know because she knew that that was gonna help her in her life and you know I think what I've come to realize through lots of different conversations with myself and, and with my uh, friends and family is just, there is no perfect situation, and that's okay, you know? Um, and, and I certainly recognize that, but accepting that in all areas of life is really a big challenge.
0: No, it's really hard. You know, because yeah.
1: especially when you're talking about this idea of success. And, you know, everything in life, everything in our, our education system and, you know, in our society is sort of showing us examples of success and failure, you know? And it's like, okay, well, if you do that, you, you could fail. And obviously that's somewhat subjective, but um, I, think it, I think it affects, you know, it's greatly affected me because I put a lot of pressure on myself to be successful and then i'm just like i don't even know what that means yeah (laughs) i'm like is this is it are we are we there yet well yeah are we there yet do i have to keep on going oh i just keep on going forever (laughs) oh okay that's the plan all right then maybe i can just relax maybe i can say no to that thing that feels like it's a a bit of a stretch anyway you know
0: Uh, i have one more question for you but before i go into that i just wanted to bring up uh, i think the thing i was get trying to get to in regards to Talked about my parents and correlating with how they worked all the time. Mm-hmm. I, in regards to your daughter, um, I think it's important that you're doing what you're doing and that she sees that because I think, no, not think, I know. When I was like 17, I started going to college and I started trying to conceptualize what it meant to chase a dream. I, it became a very stark realization even at that age that I had no comprehension of what that looked like and what that was. And it was something that I would find myself wishing, I wish as a child I was able to visualize that or to have that be imparted on me or that I experienced that second hand. So yeah. I guess it's a long way of saying that I think the fact that you're doing what you're doing and your daughter gets to see that, it's a really powerful and important thing.
1: I think so. And, you know, my my twins are too young to stay home, you know. I think it's really important that they're with me right now and... And I am actually planning on bringing my daughter on tour with me a little bit this summer, um, which I think is going to be great. Yeah. you know I'm really excited to be with my kids on the road and yeah. Um, that will present other challenges, yeah, obviously. <laughs>
0: definitely will. Uh, before I let you go, the last thing I wanted to ask you is... Uh, so, I mean, I told you about like my background, how I got to your album, and how I responded to it. It's very clear to me, though, when I read up on you more, and I've seen the way people reacted to the album, The Cat Plus Blues, that there's definitely been lots of people who have no context of Haitian language, Haitian culture, who are still responding to it. There's people who are enjoying it, and you're shaking your head because you understand. And you're here in New York, you're gonna be performing at one of the variants of the Lincoln Center that we have here in the city. And something I'm familiar with is people who come to those events who just love music, where they know the artist or not. I guess what I'm basically trying to ask you is, what's it like recognizing that you could put so much of your experience and your identity, even within a language that people understand, such as Creole, and people respond to it? Like, What's it like recognizing that?
1: Um, it's very life affirming yeah it's really it feels really good it feels like um, this doesn't need to be in English for for these concepts to resonate with people and I think it's also you know the types of conversations that I'm sort of engaging with my music are not are pretty specific to um, my identity and kind of my my life perspective, and um, I just think that you know, music is such a powerful connector, and so it it just it just makes me feel like okay, I'm not crazy. This is this does make sense to other people, so uh, that feels good.
0: Does it surprise you? I almost want to put it in like such a like...
1: no. Well, you know what? It's always like you know that that whole like artistic process of like this is such a great idea. Actually, this is a terrible idea. I shouldn't do this. Um, Maybe it's not so bad. Maybe I just need to tweak it, you know? Um, And so uh, I wouldn't say that it surprises me, but um, I would say that, like, I'm, you know... I, to me it makes sense right because yeah. I'm the one who's like putting the music out there and it's it's very it's more comforting that other people also relate to it and and it makes sense to other people for for themselves as well not just for me yeah. you know yeah. um, that feels good
0: yeah. I don't want to put in such a like a uh, stark or like such a like I don't even have the right word I don't want to put it into such a whatever manner but like like growing up in a household of primarily creole speakers and then being able to see non-creole speakers find something within the music i mean that's like i don't think it's something that my younger self would ever visualize like it's just it's wild yeah
1: well i mean creole is such a an amazing language i think it's really beautiful and i think when i was growing up i always felt like um especially my American friends, just it was so foreign to them. And I didn't realize how powerful the beauty of Creole was until I was really getting into the music myself as an adult and thinking, oh my God, this music is so beautiful and this language is so beautiful. And then kind of learning more of the language through the songs, because I grew up with a lot of people speaking Creole around me to each other, but not to me. Yeah. And, um, and so I think coming into that as an adult um, has helped me to be able to translate what this means to me. And, and I think people really enjoy that, learning about what it means to me, yeah. you know, even though it's sort of this abstraction to them. Um, and that's what's really cool, to see that, you know, like, we are uh, compassionate, compassionate, sentient beings and, you know, it doesn't always feel that way when you read the news, but, um, but that's why I'm doing this, I guess, you know, because I want to connect with people and I want them to be a part of this creative process that feels like so, uh, like, fundamental to my mental health and survival and maybe to theirs as well, you know, in some way.
0: Yeah, well, I would agree with that. Thank you so much for your time
1: today. Yeah, really absolutely. <laughs> <Nice>. Thank you. <laughs>